My name is Dan Doty. You are listening to the Everyman Podcast. This is episode 36 with Dan Harris. I just had the urge to do today's podcast in Spanish, and I'm not talented enough to do that maybe maybe 10 years ago. I spent a bunch of time in Ecuador and Panama in my 20s, and at one point felt pretty confident in my Spanish. Right now it's terrible, but I just had the urge to do the intro in Spanish. That would have been awkward. Anyway, I am so excited to introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Dan Harris. He is the co-anchor of ABC's Nightline and Good Morning America on ABC News. And he has been around the world, been embedded with troops, and has been a war reporter and a world traveling reporter for a long time. He's an incredibly intelligent man. And he's here today. I got introduced to Dan through some contacts in New York City. Dan has become a huge proponent of meditation. And if you listen to this podcast and you're familiar with me, I've had a meditation practice that's been a very important part of my life for about eight, almost 10 years now. And I talk about it a lot and I weave it into a lot of what I've learned from meditation or have experienced through meditation is actually very, very analogous or similar to what we do in our groups and on our retreats. It's There's definitely some formal differences. But the core of becoming more aware and diving deep into some inner truth, that is totally, totally consistent between what we do. So Dan wrote a book called 10% happier and he has a new book coming out now that you'll hear more about in our conversation as well and he has a really really in some sense in my opinion like an incredible approach to meditation he's a skeptic he came into it not drinking the kool-aid right away so he's done a lot of research he's reached out to a lot of very intelligent people and he's learned a lot about this and he's become a huge proponent for it i think it's just encouraging to me to have a conversation with a man who is stepping into an area that part of a society thinks is woo woo or strange or not normal and has been willing to really put his shoulder into it do this thing for the betterment of others and himself so I actually got a little bit nervous talking to him and you'll you'll hear that in this interview and it's interesting because I didn't feel nervous before we started talking but I you know what it was is I felt like his voice I had heard it so many times without really knowing it I don't know it just it kind of threw me off a little bit anyway so we'll get into it and I hope you enjoy the talk But before we do, I want to talk a little more about our upcoming retreats and events. So the next one coming up is six weeks away from, I think tomorrow, actually today. Six weeks away from today, we'll be at 29 Palms in Joshua Tree, California, running an open source retreat. We are almost sold out, selling out. I think we have maybe seven spots left for this retreat. But I have news that we are opening up more spots for local participants. And what a local participant means in this case is if you want to come and stay somewhere else in a hotel, if you want to camp out, or if you have a place to stay close, then you can pay a local participant rate and come join us. We are running out of beds, but we do have more space for men to join us. So if you're in Southern California or in the Southwest region or wherever you want to take it on to figure out where to stay nearby, come join us. We're opening those up. Those are going to be available. I think right now they're already available. So seven spots left. If you're thinking about it and you want to make it happen, pull the trigger, make it happen. And I'll see you there in six weeks from today. A few weeks after that retreat, we have the first official MELT training, Masculine Emotional Leadership Training at Racebrook Lodge in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, close to New York and Boston. This is, as I've been saying, and you've probably heard me say before, this is for men who want to facilitate what we do. This is for men who have had a taste of what we do or even are just so curious and know that it is for them already. This is going to be a pretty big bite. It's going to be a more intimate event. We're going to have two circles of 12 men, so a total of 24 men. 
Owen, Marcus, and myself are going to be leading it. And we're going to be just simply sharing how we do what we do, this stuff that is literally changing guys' lives everywhere we go. So if that's for you, you can find all of our events and tickets at everyman.co, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.co. And then I have one more announcement, and it's an important one. So we have been advertising our next open source on the East Coast as being the last weekend of March, the weekend after the melt. But that is no longer the case, okay? We made a mistake. We originally booked this for a holiday weekend. It's Passover and it's Easter, and we just decided that was just not the right way to go. So we changed the dates of our next open source on the East Coast. It's gonna be the 13th through the 15th of April. This has been changed on the website. You can get all the details are the same. It's just a different weekend. Come join us, guys. We're rocking into 20. 2018 with a lot of momentum and I'm feeling a lot of gratitude, a lot of joy. And we're rolling out groups all over the world. We just rolled out a couple more in Australia this last week. And we have our membership plan ramping up for release in February. So I'll tell you more about that as we get closer to it. I hope you enjoy this show. Reach out and, you know, here's a challenge. Just tell somebody what you think. And if you're wondering what other people are thinking, ask them. All right. Enjoy the show, guys. All right, we are live. I'm with Dan Harris. Uh, thank you again, Dan, for being here today. And and I am. I'm feeling jittery and nervous. I I I feel like I shouldn't be, but I but I definitely am. I just spent uh, a good couple hours going down a rabbit hole and reading about your story. And I'm and I'm I don't know. I'm very grateful at the at the beginning here. And um, so I'll just I want to I want to give you the floor, Dan, to start and just give our listeners a little bit of context about who you are and what you care about and what you you know, what you're working toward in life here? Uh, well, there's definitely no need to be nervous. I'm sure that everything I will say from here on in will amply demonstrate that I, like everybody else, I'm a complete moron. Um, <laughs> uh, I am a uh, news anchor, I guess is the top line. I'm, I'm uh, the co-host of Nightline on ABC News and also the weekend edition of Good Morning America and uh, have this unusual, at least, well, surprising to me, side hustle around the issue of meditation. Uh, yeah. I wrote I wrote a book a couple of years ago called 10% Happier, which was kind of a wise-ass uh, memoir about um, how I embraced meditation. I was pretty deeply convinced that nobody was going to read it because like, I'm like a B-level network news guy who talking about something at the time, uh, a pretty niche um, uh, meditation, but it turned out to be pretty successful and it, it kind of morphed into a podcast, also called 10% Happier, and then a app, uh, also called 10% Happier for brand continuity uh, that uh, t- teaches people how to meditate. And uh, after, get, after especially, especially being involved in this app, um, I really got a sense of how hard it is for people to meditate, um, right? Uh, they, yeah. you know, people want to do it, uh, or some people want to do it, but it's just adapting, the, adopting the habit is really hard for people. So I decided to write a new book, which is coming out soon, called "Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics," which is part Gonzo road trip that I took across the country, um, and part how to meditate, and part kind of behavior change, habit formation, science. Um, a look at like the various obstacles that people have to meditation and how you can uh, overcome them. 
So that sounds like a blast, man. That's it was awesome. And so, so a couple of things landed as as you were sharing that. So the first thing I realized why I'm nervous, and that's because I was just like listening to your podcast before this. And I think, I think it's the sense of, of asking you questions just seems somehow cosmically or energetically not right. <laughs> like, like the, it, it's what you do, right? Like I was just, I was just really admiring your fluidity and depth of, of interviewing on your podcast. So that's just an aside. The other, I want to um, address the part about how long it takes to start meditating. So I, I've been meditating for about 10 years now too. Wow. And it took me... Well, I guess I can't say 10 years because then that's part of this. So I, when I first was really introduced until I, I had a habit and then I had a regular practice that really sunk and really stuck, it was probably about two and a half years. Um, so I agree with that, that it really takes something. It takes, I don't know, you t- I mean, you've, this is probably what you've been working on. What does it take? What does it take to, to make it stick? Well, well, let me just address both of the things you said. Uh, um, I actually think the fact that I'm a network newsman and therefore kind of bred, trained to be a little slick is a a little bit of a disadvantage in the podcast space where people really respond to authenticity and uh, you don't have to be perfect and the ums and ahs right. are totally fine. And so uh, I wouldn't, again, I just wouldn't worry about that um, uh, in terms of being a questioner. Yeah. Uh, an interviewer. And the, the second thing to say about uh, the what, what stops people from meditating is <laughs> there's a rich pageant of reasons and it really depends on the person and the time in that person's life. Yeah. Uh, we, when I was writing this book, I wanted to do a couple things. I wanted to teach people how to meditate. I wanted it to be a good story. And I wanted to sort of do a thorough taxonomy of all the reasons people don't meditate. And, um, and to tackle them systematically. And and so what we ended up doing was renting uh, this big stupid orange bus with 10% happier decals on the side. And I enlisted this really hilarious meditation re- uh, teacher from Toronto who's around my age in his mid forties and really funny dude and big partier. And, uh, and we got on this bus with a bunch of other people and we went across the country and we met all sorts of people like cops, military cadets, politicians, celebrities, uh, formerly incarcerated youth, social workers, and and we these are all people who want to meditate but aren't doing it. And we, ha- J- Jeff, the meditation teacher, who I like to call uh, uh, meditation MacGyver, um, <laughs> is really good at like figuring out what you know how to get it under the hood and help people get over the hump. And yeah, so uh, what the book is 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 a narrative, uh, chronological telling of the road trip. But every chapter we tackle a different. Uh, obstacle, and I would say the two biggest obstacles to meditation are the misconception that you need to clear your mind. Right, great. Uh, yeah. People feel I can't, I suck at this, I can't do it. Um, uh, and the other, and this may be even the steeper uh, issue, is um, not having the time or feeling that you don't right. have the time. Great. Uh, I can hold forth on both of them at length or tell you about the other obstacles, but I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Yeah. You know where I, you know, where I learned to actually meditate into my practice was sitting on the Q train between Ditmas park and uh, Herald square. That was like, that was where I did it. That's where it landed for me. And, and right. that was my practice. Yeah. In terms of time, finding time today, you know, I live in Montana and, and, you know, I can find the time, but, but back when I, so I lived in New York for seven years and it worked in media and, uh, yeah, that was my time. And I, I look back so fondly 
on that experience that was it was like i don't know 38 minutes or a 36 minute ride every day and it sure worked man really that's a long i mean for, for especially a beginner 38 minutes is that's a big chunk of time well i'm not saying i was able to sustain it the whole time right but but that was my work period that was my practice round right and maybe i don't know at the beginning i i would be lucky with five minutes, but yeah, by the end, you know, a couple of years into it, I certainly were able to, was able to, to drop down. I'm really curious. What is the, uh, so my, my meditation practice and lineage comes from Chogim Trungpa Rinpoche through Reggie Ray and an organization called Dharma Ocean. What is, uh, do you have a sort of vein or, or, or type of meditation that, that you have landed on or are you, I don't know, do you, do you, do you take a varied approach to it? Uh, so I'm a, I'm I'm familiar with uh, I don't know Reggie Reggie in particular, uh, yep. but I certainly know the Shambhala lineage, and I actually recently mm-hmm. interviewed um, uh, Sakyong Mipam on my podcast. We haven't I saw that. Yet, but, That's great. Um, yeah. Or maybe we did post it. I can't remember anyway. But I did interview him, uh, and. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting lineage in particular, you know, that's, they have, as you know, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, the founder of the lineage is a, uh, uh, controversial dude. Yeah, um, very controversial. So, but, but the practices they teach are, I think, I think are, are pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. the, I am, you know, I was initially drawn to just straight up vanilla mindfulness meditation, secular mm-hmm uh mindfulness meditation which is you know very simple and uh has been studied a lot in the labs and um is derived from buddhism but is stripped of all the metaphysical claims and spiritual lingo and uh so that's what i did for a long time but then i met a lot of buddhists who i really liked and learned a lot more about buddhism and that it's not you know you you, you can make it, you can practice it as a religion if you want, but you can also practice it uh, as the way I do, which is, uh, there's a great expression that Buddhism is not something to believe in, it's something to do. And yeah, it's just yeah. a set of meditation techniques and there's a intellectual infrastructure that sort of um, is worth investigating. Um, I highly recommend a book, new book called Why Buddhism is True, written by Robert Wright, who's a philosopher who knows a lot about evolutionary psych psychology we talked about how buddhism is kind of the way to hack the 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 mind we've been bequeathed by evolution and uh so to me buddhism is super interesting both as a practice and as sort of an intellectual pursuit uh so that's a long answer no very cool yeah i'm 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 similar i i do not i don't claim the title buddhist and it it makes me uncomfortable even think about doing that uh but it is something i do spend a, a good chunk of my uh, energy and attention practicing. So yeah, I, th- I think that is that is really uh, probably a very key thing to lessening some of the stigmas. What Where do you think the sense of stigma is today now? I mean, so it's been a couple of years, right? Since your book came out, has this, what, where do you assess the stigma on meditation today? And, and I'm curious because, you know, going to sort of bleed some of these topics into what we do at Everyman and just, just stigmas in general around men, personal growth and like where we're headed as people in a culture. But yeah, so what, what is the stigma around meditation today? Is, is there one? Is it still there? Uh, definitely it's still there, but I think it's gotten a lot better. Uh, yeah. In many ways, I, I realized in the course of working on this new book, that the follow-up book, that in many ways I've been fighting the last war. Like well, when I wrote 10% Happier, 
I was really just trying to make meditation less weird for people. And yeah. it's come, it's become obvious to me over the last couple of years that actually there are, there are millions of people for whom meditation is not weird. Right. It's actually an aspirational thing. They're just right. not doing it. Yeah. Um, just the way they're not exercising or getting enough sleep or eating healthy. It's just like become another thing on their list of uh, things that stress them out that they're not doing. Um, that being said, I do think there are plenty of places in the U.S. and all over the world where the, the old stigma applies, sure. um, which can be that it's froofy and, and um, soft and, and you know, basically just bullshit. Uh, or that it's somehow uh, religious, and, and if you do it, it'll be contrary to your religion, whatever that may be. Uh, or that, uh, you know, I, I spent some time with some with cops uh, for this uh, for this book um, in Tempe, Arizona, and there were a lot of people who worried that if they got too happy, they would be uh, ineffective on the job, and that it would somehow yeah. make them soft and put them at risk. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So that's a, there's so many analogs here that, that cross perfectly over to, to what we're doing every man, which is basically emotional mindfulness for men, you know, t taking on the, the practice to actually feel what we feel, be able to communicate it and all of that. And it's that edge, that question. And I really, I picked that up in, in um, even just the subtitle of your book, but how you, you know, how you did this practice and it made you happier It helped things out, but it helped you not lose your edge. And that's such a big question. It's been coming up over and over lately for us. So I, one of my best buddies is a, is a special forces. Um, well, he just retired, but he's in the special forces for a long time. And he sits in my men's group with me. He does this work. Um, he's very open-minded and uh, you know, we're finding that he has found, I mean, just, this is just a very anecdotal personal story for him, but it's uh, doing what we do and, and, and doing more meditative things and, and opening up in this way has, really been a huge, 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 can't even uh, highlight enough how big of a thing it's been for him coming out of the military. And we always play the question for the people who are in the midst of uh, high performance, whether it's, um, I just had Keith Mitchell on the podcast, who's a Pro Bowl uh, selected football player, you know, my buddy Aaron, who's a special forces guy, and just ambitious people in general, right? I mean, I'm one of them myself. And I think that is such a fear is, is it going to lose our edge? Um, and I'm kind of going on here, but one other thing I want to drop is, is uh, I just had a conversation with a neurobiologist, David Rock, Dr. David Rock. And they, they have basically, science has shown us that um, being able to feel and express emotions actually doesn't lose your, it, it, do, it, like it, it does the opposite of, of losing your edge. It actually sharpens you and it, and it allows you to make better decisions and, and be more pointed and be more forceful or shouldn't say forceful, but powerful. Um, and I'm guessing it's similar with meditation. Well, I just know for myself, it's the same with meditation. So um, yeah, I'll let you jump in here. I just, I just basically want to cut to the chase and, and give everybody permission to do, to do these things because it's just so helpful. Yeah, I mean, like uh, emotional mindfulness. Uh, uh, I don't actually know. I don't know exactly what you mean by, it, but I think I do. And and you know, basically just being aware that you have emotions and and not and being willing to talk about them so that they don't completely own you. Well, that is what you do. That's one of the things that you do in meditation. Is right. that you, right. you know, the basic meditation is you sit usually with your eyes closed, although you can keep them open a little bit, and you uh, try to focus on one thing. Uh, usually that's your breath. You just 
feel the raw data of the physical sensations of your breath coming in and going out. And then the big move in meditation is that you're going to get distracted a million times and that's yeah. fine. The yeah. whole game meditation is to notice when you become distracted to see that you are distracted and, and what the content is, and then to start again and again and to let it go to see, Oh yeah, this is anger. This is fear or this is right. planning or, or whatever. And just to let it go. And what is the value of that? The value is so that when emotions, um, bird dog you, uh, in your regular life, they don't yank you around and, and you, so the, the power ignorance is not bliss. Seeing it clearly allows yeah. you to manage it wisely, uh, so that you are responding with some sophistication to the things in your life rather than reacting blindly. And, uh, you know, that, that is incredibly important. And it's a, it is, it's the inner ninja move, you know, instead right. of um, yeah. having anger wash over you in a meeting and then saying stupid shit that you later regret and have to apologize for, you can see the anger, you can allow it to pass, and you can say something smart. Um, and that is not an erosion of your edge. That is a massive enhancing of yeah. your edge. And yeah. uh, so I, I don't, you know, I think there's a reason why you're seeing the Chicago Cubs, Novak Djokovic, the U.S. military, 50 yeah. Cent, um, all of these sort of a aspirational figure, uh, super effective, ambitious uh, figures uh, embrace this practice because it boosts their focus, makes them calmer under pressure, and uh, reduces their emotional reactivity. And that is what you need if you want to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And so would you say for yourself in, in the years that you've been meditating now, um, what, where, do you, where do you feel the, has your edge stayed there has it increased has it shifted like and i guess when i say edge i guess what i'm asking about is ambition or fire or i mean that it really struck me you know I, I went back and i watched the moment um on tv where he had a panic attack and i just i just felt so much compassion for you and i i could feel um i've you know i've had panic attacks myself in my life so i i definitely could connect to it um, and I also connected to the amount of ambition you had to, you know, to both yeah. as a war reporter I general, mean, has that changed for you? Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I, um, well, first of all, to fill in the story, the, 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 uh, and this is the story I told in my first book is that I, ha I had a panic attack and, um, and that was what ultimately sort of led me to, uh, realize that I was doing some pretty dumb shit in my personal life. And, and, uh, and ultimately put me on this weird windy path that landed me on meditation. Yeah. Um, uh, so I am really still incredibly ambitious. I work seven days a week. I anchor uh, two shows on ABC news and, <laughs> and do a lot of investigative reporting. I have a startup company that runs this app that teaches people how to meditate. Uh, I have a deal to write three more books. Um, and I have, you know, ideas for five more. I have a podcast. Um, so I, I am pretty active and in fact, in yeah. some ways more active and effective in the world than I've ever been. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I think the big difference, and I talk about this a lot, is that what mindfulness, what the self-awareness that's generated through meditation helps you do is to draw the line between good stress and bad stress. In other mm. words, useless rumination and what I call constructive anguish. 
the certain amount of stress makes sense. I'm not anti-stress. I'm anti-stupid stress that yeah. just makes you an asshole to, to yourself and to the people around you. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to, you know, uh, you know, you, you, if you're going to be great at anything, you need to have some plotting and planning and worrying and gnashing of teeth. But you don't, you got to figure out when does it make sense to stop. Right. And at what point is being blinded by anger and jealousy making you just do dumb things and be basically unhappy and reducing your resiliency. Uh, and, and, and there is no like magic formula. It's just that through meditation, I've been better at seeing when, when I've crossed the line between, as I said before, useless rumination and constructive anguish. Oh, that's amazing. You know, one of the ways I look at it for myself is, is that I know that every time I sit, and I actually do a good chunk of my meditation laying on my back too, but every time I take the time to do it, I literally feel like I'm making more room for whatever's happening in my life to be there and to invite more things in. And um, so I, 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 can, I can relate to taking on more and, and not being softened by meditation. But one, one question I'm curious about is has this process of discovery that you that you've had since you since you dove into this, um, do you feel it's given you an ability to uh, receive more or be more fulfilled or sort of appreciate what you have um, in any greater capacity? Absolutely. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of the word happiness. Um, but we are so conflicted about what happiness is. You know, yeah. like if the root of happiness, the word. H-A-P-P, the root uh, uh, is the same root in the word haphazard or hapless. It means luck. Um, and so that really tells you a lot about our cultural attitudes about happiness, that it's like something that happens to you, yeah. not something you can generate for yourself. Um, and what, for me, the animating insight of medita around meditation is that happiness is a skill that you can generate just the way you can work on your bicep in the gym. And right. that for me is what has fueled my whole little evangelical side hustle. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, t to me, uh, this is a radical and, and, and empowering notion. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. So I was listening to the, the interview you did with Jesse Israel, I think it was episode 30 or early on in your podcast. And, uh, you were lit up by his entrepreneurial spirit around meditation. And so, so what is, what is underneath that, Dan? Like, what is the, what is like the core drive to share this message? What, like, what, what is it doing for you or what do you want? What do you want for others? I think motivation is what motivates us is such an interesting thing. It, and it's, I think it's useful to be honest about it. Um, yeah, totally. So, I would say that my motivations run along a spectrum from crass to high-minded. Sure. So of course. <laughs> so on the crass side of it, uh, because that's the fun stuff to talk about. Um, uh, why do it? Why start a? Why found a startup company? Because the idea is you you see that there's an opening in the marketplace and you think you can make a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, right. I'm a capitalist. I would love yeah. to create value for myself and my investors. Um, there's no question about it. Um, I'm also a guy who had enough of an ego to go into the TV news business. So the idea of writing books that do well and going on people's podcasts and talking about myself is like, nah, I'm not allergic to that. I, yeah. I am not <laughs> afraid of airtime or getting yeah. attention. Um, so let's just be right, like right out in the open about that. And I actually don't think there's anything wrong. Is I think seeing that and knowing about yourself 
knowing that about yourself allows you not to make decisions wholly governed by your sort of more crass impulses. Yeah, um, well so that's that's on the crass end of the spectrum. Yeah. But on the on the higher minded end, uh, you know, look, meditation has done a, a lot for me, and um, I really do believe that while it won't solve all of your problems, hence the title "10 Percent Happier," I do believe it, it uh, that the 10 percent compounds annually, and um, mm, that's cool. Uh, and that you that you can truly that the, the idea that that this that happiness is a skill is in, is incredibly important, and um, uh, I find it to be enormously exciting that I can help people come to this practice that they can um, under that they can find it to be an attractive thing to do that they they get motivated to to do it and then I can actually help them do it you know through I also kind of think of myself as a gateway drug mm -hmm. uh, you know yeah. I am I am not a meditation teacher and in fact there are no original ideas in any of my books I'm just my only innovation is I use the word fuck a lot um, and make it <laughs> funny um, and <laughs> I so on the app I brought I've brought together my favorite teachers and scientists who will teach you directly but yeah. I just put an overlay of my kind of uh, no BS uh, humor oriented uh, branding on top of it and then which hopefully makes the whole thing like a party you want to join um, and then I you know bring you the people who truly know what they're talking about and that has been a real source of pleasure for me you know the, the the idea that these people who i think many of whom have been kind of stuck in a like a uh you know their their message isn't getting out to a wide enough audience um right that to me to, to help that happen and then to, to see you know when i go out and give speeches or when i get emails from people who use the app or have read the book and I, and, and they're, you know, not stereotypical meditators, they're executives or yeah. athletes or people like that. And they say, Hey, you know, you had a huge impact on my life or you changed my life. That is incredibly exciting to me. So yeah. uh, that's a long way to say, of saying that my motivation for doing what I do sort of spans the, the, the spectrum. Oh, that's so cool. That, that's so cool to hear. So I'm going to make an assumption here based on my own life and other things, but I'm curious, um, has meditation itself sort of, have you gone on a journey with it? Does it mean something different to you today than it did six months ago or a year ago? Are you exploring new things or do you feel like you kind of have a trusty friend or, or practice now and, it, and it's, it's, I'm just curious, because for me, like, it's just, it changes all the time, so much so that I kind of want it to not change. <laughs> I'd be like, come on, we were just in a groove there. Um, but I think that speaks to the nature of meditation itself. But I'm curious as, as to what your current, you know, love affair or relationship looks like with it. So just to specify, you're talking about like, what is my daily practice look like now? And has that changed? Or what is the role in my life for meditation? Yeah, the, the role in your life or the impact yeah. or yeah, yes. So, you know, it really has changed a lot. I hesitate. I want to put a, the right frame on this because I, I, um, I don't want people to think, because I'm going to say some things that, uh, that, about my commitment to the practice that might people might find either daunting or off-putting. Sure. I want to be clear that, you know, um, 
I, I'm trying to be more and more of an, I don't consider myself a teacher or really an expert, um, but I want to know more and more so that I have more and more ability to help people and, yeah. and a deeper understanding of the practice. And yeah. in order to do that, you really have to take a pretty deep dive. Um, and I'm, I'm also motivated by personal interest and by the benefits I've seen in my own mind and my own life. Uh, so I have a lot of motivations to want to get deeper and deeper into the practice. So when I started, I started with like five to 10 minutes a day, which is truly what I believe is, constitutes a very healthy practice that you could do for the rest of your life. And right. with a straight yeah. face, refer to yourself as a meditator. That's a, frankly, I think one minute counts, um, but it's five to 10 is great. Um, so I, you know, that was what I started with. And I, my goal was I, I, you know, I, I've had anxiety and depression most of my life, and I saw the research that suggested that this can be very useful for that. And um, I also, it's very good for, uh, it works on the parts of your brain associated with attention regulation, so focus. Um, and I have long, you know, had trouble paying attention to anything, and yeah. even before uh, cell phones, um, uh, uh, smartphones rather. So I, I saw it as like a little hack to, you know, boost my health and happiness. Uh, however, in the course of writing 10% Happier and and, um, and what's come after, I've become more and more interested in it as a, uh, a uh, something that I want to go deeper in and that right. it really is yeah. something that I think is, you know, I, I practice for two hours a day a lot uh given how busy my life is and good for you man I, that is incre- that's amazing Congre- congratulations I, thank you uh and i try to go on i just got back from a silent meditation retreat for two weeks uh, so sorry 10 days and so i i um you know i i for me i this is this is one of the most important things in my life it's not just a little thing i do you know the way i um might do some stretching in the morning. This is uh, one of the defining features of my life. Um, I guess we have a poverty of language, but you know, spirituality may be a word you could use, although that, in, that to me sort of intimates some sort of metaphysical claims that I, I don't espouse. Um, yeah, yeah. But understanding the, understanding the mind uh, and um, coming into closer contact with fundamental truths and mysteries. Um, and again, nothing super woo-woo, but like fundamental truths, like we're all going to die. And people don't like thinking about that. But actually the mind likes to think about that. Your mind yeah. Yeah. It likes to be in, aligned with what is true. Mm-hmm. And it is inarguably true that every human that has ever been born also died. Um, and uh and that this is coming for all of us and so so what then what right. then how do you live in in the in it, once you've done your best to fully embrace that um so so things like the, 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 these are basically the fundamental tenets of buddhism and um and yeah. to me they're incredibly important yeah. So just a little backstory on my end. So right after college, I became a, a wilderness therapy guide and, and I, I led trips for young guys, for struggling young guys for a long time, spent somewhere between six and 800 days out in the wilderness in different spots with, with young guys and had a lot of time, you know, and a lot of, a lot of just 
quiet time sitting on mountains, sitting in the desert, uh, you know, connecting with people, but then a lot of time just of just pure silence. And so I was in my late twenties in New York, having a very busy career. And, uh, a girl I was dating brought me to a, to a meditation night and, uh, and I laid down uh, while well, we did some, we, we laid down and did some breathing work and then we sat up and did some meditation. And then all of a sudden I just like this feeling rushed back to me, this sense, this, this sort of enveloping uh, set of sensations and a state, I guess I would call it came back and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is how I felt for those hundreds and hundreds of days. Uh, you know, sitting out connected to nature where things were quiet and I was in tune with myself and um, it was such a powerful thing, man. And, and that, so that's what really, I guess that was the first day of the two and a half years until my committed practice. But um, well, I really, I appreciate how you said that about how our brains like to be in recognition of what is true or, or what is present or what is actually there. And uh, yeah, I guess as you know, I, I, a little nagging question here was, so it sounds like in a sense you have, you've definitely gone beyond what you call the vanilla practice of just basic breathing awareness. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. I mean, we, it's often talked about in, in meditation circles that, you know, this is a shallow end of the pool, yeah. which is where most of my message is, you know, just trying to get people to dip their toe in the pool and, and under, you know, and derive the basic, you know, the, the, the benefits that are there to be derived. Um, but then there's the deep end of the pool where you really throw yourself in and, and, and let this practice come, become one of the defining features of your life. It's a little bit like the difference between somebody who does their 30 minutes of cardio six days a week and, and a person who um, does Ironman right. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. events. And uh, that's, that's really what it is. And you want, it doesn't mean that the shallow end of the pool is, is insufficient. I don't believe that at all. I think if you have five to 10 minutes a day or even one minute most days, that's a meditation practice and you will be benefiting from it. Yeah. Um, but you want your trainer to, like my trainer, she's amazing. She's a former Golden Gloves boxer and she um, has a thousand hours of yoga training. I'm not going to do either of those things, but I like that she has because she yeah. knows what she's talking about. And so that's, the, that's what I... Uh, hopefully uh, can start to provide the more experience I get. That's really inspiring. Um, how I'm, I'm just projecting some of my insecurities out into the world right now, but as you took on this side hustle, as you stepped out to be a vocal, a vocal person about meditation, did you have to break through uh, fears in yourself of, of judgment? What was that process like? And, and I'm also curious, if there were any uh, sort of sticky parts for yourself, have they gone away completely? Oh, it's fucking terrifying. There's no question yeah. about it. I mean, I was admitting in the first book, I was admitting that I had a drug problem, uh, yeah. that I suffered from depression, that I had a panic attack on national television, which nobody in my workplace knew because even though I had had the panic attack, it, it, was, it was actually somewhat mild. If you look, you can see the video if you just Google uh, panic yeah. attack on live television. Um, you know, you, anybody who's had any panic will know exactly what they're looking at, but it, it went by very quickly. And um, so I kind of got away with it, so to speak, in, yeah. in, the, in the workplace. So when I, you know, t t 10 years later, when I wrote a book about how I, I had a panic attack and I was fueled in part by doing cocaine after, after spending a ton of time in war zones as a reporter, I was like, it was a really risky move. And a couple of weeks before the book came out, my mother, who, with whom I have a very close relationship, sent me an email 
basically begging me not to publish the book. Wow. And so yeah. I was freaking out. Um, yeah. So it was terrifying. And I'll tell you what I learned, which is that um, it's actually humbling. Um, and I usually hate that word because people get up and accept an Oscar and say, oh, this is humbling. Well, yeah. it's not humbling at all. That's bullshit. Um, <laughs> but this actually was humbling for me because I realized that people find the details of my life like somewhat amusing and interesting, but they don't what they really want to know is what do you have that will be useful for me? Got and it. what, where I derived uh, a lot of confidence is that, yeah, I'm not selling myself. I'm, I'm selling to the extent that I'm selling anything meditation. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, and I have an enormous amount of confidence and the science backs me up that this is good for you. And I'm just, you know, telling you my story as a way to, uh, get you interested. And, uh, so yeah, that was, there was a lot of fear there, but in the end, it turned out to be really positive. But I'd say that the fear still exists, and you know, I've got a new book coming out. Will will it do as well as my last book? Is this my sophomore slump? You know, will my startup company be able to raise another round of capital? Um, right. Uh, a constantly still worrying about my place in the broadcast news uh, business is very competitive. Uh, so there's, I, I, it's not like I've vanquished insecurity, but I do feel like I have a different relationship with it. Yeah. That's amazing. The, um, well, just to sort of draw a, a connection again, what, what I see you have having had to do or, or chosen to do and in telling your story and, you know, you couldn't get away from it in a sense. You just said, here, here's all, here's all of it. Here's all of that stuff that happened, all this darkness in me, or however you want to put words to it. Anyway, that's one of the things that we're offering to, to our community and our guys, both on our retreats and in our, in our circles and stuff is a place to come do that. And obviously it's not a public forum. It's not, we're not all getting book deals and putting this out into the world, but the, the practice of stepping into that fear and, and sharing that stuff that we just keep hidden inside is um, really the energy that's just propelling all of this forward. So I think that, um, I don't know, you know, just from my seat, you're doing an incredible job of leadership in a sense by being willing to um, speak that and share that. And, and I am curious a little bit about what the, the driver impetus was to, to share at that time. Like what, what was it? Was it just a feeling you just had to do it or what, what led you to want to share that? So my desire was not to, first of all, thank you for saying such nice things. I appreciate it. Um, I, the desire was not to share. My desire was uh, to um, promote meditation. Oh, I, okay. when I, got, yeah. I got in, yeah. my initial impulse was I, I got into meditation in like 2009. So a little bit after you, I think, but um, still, you know, this was the first time in my life I've ever been ahead of a trend because uh, meditation <laughs> wasn't cool at that time. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I, realized oh there's all this science that hasn't been well publicized that suggests meditation is really good for you yeah. and while the books that i was reading were really interesting they were also pretty annoying and they always felt like there was like a pan flute playing in the background <laughs> and that the, <laughs> that the author was addressing you as grasshopper and you know and i just knew there was an yeah. opening in the market for somebody to talk about meditation in a different way yeah. and so that's what I wanted to do. And so I initially, as I started to write the book, um, it was more of a how-to guide, which is what I've actually just ended up writing. Um, yeah. But when I was showing copy to people, it was people were 
really mostly interested in the biographical stuff. Sure. And sure. and then I realized that you know that I've learned this lesson a million times over in TV news, you know that the stories that stick are personal. And yeah. if you yeah. want to teach anything, you should wrap it in a story. And so I often describe 10% happier as a an argument dressed up as a memoir. The argument is you should meditate. And I make that argument in the form of telling you a bunch of embarrassing stories about me. Right. Um, but I came to that through, I mean, it took me four or five years to write the book. And so I wrote about 95 terrible books uh, and then wrote a you know passable one that was the one that finally came out. I was curious, when you were like five, six, seven, eight years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? What, what was your early impetus? I just knew I wanted to be somebody important with a lot of money. Uh, that was basically my, my, my parents, uh, are doctors, okay. but they're academic, they're academic physicians. So, yeah. uh, I don't, you know, they work in an, in an academic institute, they work at Harvard. Um, and that, you know, I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, which has a lot of very wealthy people in it. And my parents were comparatively not super wealthy. And mm. so I, uh, had, I just, I just developed this kind of and I don't know if chip on my shoulder is the right term, but so this this kind of desire to not feel less than. Right. And yeah. uh, that was, that's not the best motivator, frankly, but, it, but it's the truth. Um, and uh, that was definitely on my mind for much of my life. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just struck how... Um, uh, yeah, just I, like the the way with with you, you are such an open book, Dan. It it is it's so refreshing. And I, you know, I listen. I've I've worked in media. I've I'm not a total uh, Midwestern, you know, little boy. Although I was, you know, that's my roots. But I'm I think I had a fear, or maybe still do have a fear about just being able to speak openly, right? And just share the story. And there's still room in the world. The room, will, the, the world will still accept you. It's really interesting. I, I like, I haven't, you know, in this last year specifically, as we talked before we started the recording, um, it's been a big year for me to just to be able, we talked about me going on Rogan and just sharing my story and sharing what I really cared about. And, um, you know, this is, I'm just laying out all of my own, um, you know, inner, inner turmoil and garbage and all that, but it's just really refreshing. I mean, you're an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly public figure and, and you're able to just simply, I don't know. It's, it's striking. It's really striking to me in this moment. It's so cool. Well, but let me just validate what you were saying about your fears around this. I mean, that's completely legit. Um, yeah. And I had to learn the hard way by kind of ripping off the bandaid and doing this very public thing. Yeah. Uh, mm. and it was super liberating. I realized that you can get up and just embarrass and, and admit the most embarrassing shit about you. And people will like, I'll give you applause and book deals. And <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be, you don't want to just be vomiting up every secret, you know, like I, I yeah. the book is carefully edited. I mean, it took me years yeah. to write this. And I, I mean, I'm pretty careful about what I say and don't say. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if I'm doing my job correctly, it should seem, um, all very casual, but, um, but, but it is super liberating not to have a ton of secrets and, uh, um, and it allows you just to be like actually who you are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's been incredibly helpful to me as a, you know, I'm a morning news anchor. And so, you know, the, the amount of scrutiny on our, on how we are, uh, morning news people is incredible. You know, the, the, yeah. 
you know, people notice what, you know, when we have food on the set, they notice if I eat or don't eat and they'll tweet me about it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I found that, you know, it's like a 360 re relationship, you know, it's not like you're just an anchorman and toning from the mountaintop, you know, in, in morning television where you are really making jokes with people and playing with animals. And, um, yeah. and, uh, and I found that this just being, um, just being me, uh, learning how to just be me, and is and what this is like the shit we heard in after school specials. But you just have to learn it for yourself. Well, I mean, I love yes. Yeah, so, so that is the core. That that's our core mission. That's my core mission. It, a to be me, but to make space for other people to simply be themselves. You know, without without hesitation, without without fear, just step forward and be ourselves. And you know, so yeah, that's it's. Um, Nice work. I guess that's all I'm saying. You're, you're a great oh, example. Thank you. You're a great example. Thank you. I appreciate it. But yeah. let me just say, I mean, you know, it, it, it is it is a worthy project you're engaged in because I think you it will really it does help people to not be you know to over time to sort of kind of loosen the knots. Yes. Uh, untangle yeah. the tangle that we have around our stuff. Yeah. And uh, and that actually you will be a happier person. You will be a lighter person. You will not take yourself so seriously uh, and you will have more friends uh, because people like being around people who, you know, are not so wrapped, don't have their heads so far up their own ass that they can't pay attention to the people in front of them. <laughs> yes, they and do. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a really, you know, that can change your life for the better. Yeah. Great. Okay. So uh, two, two last questions. I'll just throw them both out there. What was, what was the biggest surprise that that you've you've come across and you know through this journey through all this learning all your own practice what's the biggest surprise you've come along and then and then just i guess moving forward like what are your ambitions not ambitions dreams visions like where do you want to take this what 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 would be like a, a fruition state of all this for you or for the world um and then you can also tell us more about your book that's coming up too yeah yeah, so I can get into the first one uh, uh, quickly because I think the biggest surprise for me was what we just discussed, that you can reveal all the embarrassing parts and it's fine. Um, and yeah. if people aren't that interested, my boss, uh, a former boss of mine who had had a few uh, tough articles written about him in the press had an interesting expression. He said, when, when you're under scrutiny like that, it's a little bit like being seasick. Um, for hmm. you, it feels like the world is ending. Mm -hmm. For everybody else, it's mildly amusing. And, <laughs> and, and that's what's really struck, hit home for me. We're all the stars of our own movie. We don't, we're not super interested in other people's lives. I mean, yes, as for titillating <laughs> uh, details and maybe to compare ourselves against them, yeah, we want a little bit of reality TV, but, but yeah. mostly we just care about ourselves. And yeah. actually, that, that's just been really surprising and actually quite liberating in that I can be pretty open about myself especially if it's in service of giving people something useful to them. Oh, I feel, uh, I feel liberated. Yeah. I feel liberated right now just hearing you say it. And, and, you know, I'm trying to spend my life telling people the same thing. So it's, it works. <laughs> it really works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, to answer your other question, um, where do I want this to go? I mean, my grandest ambition is, 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 um, is, you know, is that I want the 10% happier company that I spent a lot of my time on. I, I want us to be Nike for the mind. I want us to be able to, um, you know, the, the, the insight that has, as I was discussing earlier, that the insight that has animated much of my, 
proselytizing, well, proselytizing, not the right word, but sort of a good natured evangelizing around meditation is, is that the mind is trainable, that the, 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 yeah. The, yeah. That the, the, the mental attributes we care the most about, the things we want, calm, patience, uh, focus, self-awareness, compassion, uh, happiness, these are skills that you can train. And uh, you don't, they're not factory settings that you're stuck with. Mm. And uh, I think that there's a huge business to be built around that. And I want to do it, not only because I think it would be cool to like um, have a huge business um, and remunerative and all that other stuff, but also because it would be like such a positive force in the universe yeah. to help people do this thing. And I think there are going to be many huge businesses to be built around this. Um, uh, so I'm, re I'm really excited about that. And, and, in this, you know, uh, in the in the course of building the business, I want to create lots of great content, uh, more books, video content, documentaries, whatever, uh, because I think this is just such an untapped area. Um, so that would be my grand ambition. But frankly, if I put out a, you know, if the rest of my life consists of uh, some slowly decaying version of what I do now, which is, you know, having amazing job and broadcast news and then putting out books that maybe don't sell, you know, the next one never sells as much as the last one, then, you know, that, that's an incredibly charmed life. And I'm fine with that too. Amazing. All right. So I haven't been doing this on the podcast lately, but if you had a, a slight challenge to invite or, or an invitation, doesn't have to be a challenge, could be an invitation to our listeners who are primarily men um, as something that they could, an action that they could take to, to, for, for the better, for their better, for the world's better. Do anything come to mind that you would invite them to do? I mean, <laughs> meditation. Uh, would right, but yeah, them. like just, just any, just give it any old shot, just like anything or? I'd say commit to doing several weeks of one minute of meditation a day. Okay. And not even every day, daily-ish. Great. Great. I think, uh, and you know, for free on our app, which you can download for free. You can buy a subscription if you want, but you don't have to. For free on the app, you can get one-minute meditations. Awesome. Use them. And, uh, uh, and commit to – I say daily-ish because um, uh, if you tell yourself you're going to do it every day and then you fall off the wagon one day, then the voice in your ego will tell you you're a failed meditator and then you'll never do it again. So shoot for doing it most days, one minute, and after a couple of weeks – See if there are some benefits there, and I suspect there will be, and then scale up from there or not. You know, stay at one minute cool. most days, and I would say that's then you're a meditator. Amazing. Thank you for that. All right, so um, give us the name of your new book again that's coming out, and where can we find your stuff? Where, where do we go to find more of you and, and meditation through your lens? Uh, you know, on my podcast, I call this the, um, the, uh, the plug zone. Plug uh, zone. so I appreciate yep. that. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. So the new book is called meditation for fidgety skeptics. It's, uh, it's available everywhere uh, or will be by the time this posts. Um, uh, the previous book is called 10% happier. The app is called 10% happier podcast is called 10% happier. I'm on Twitter at Dan B Harris, Instagram, Dan Harris, Facebook, something. Um, and yeah, that's it. Cool. Oh yeah. I work at ABC news and you should watch nightline and good morning America. <laughs> um, Hey, I couldn't be more grateful, man. I was really enjoyable. And, um, I think a very valuable piece of content, both for me personally and our listeners. And, uh, I just thank you again, man, so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Dan. You too. 
All right, thanks for sticking around, everybody. One more call for our events coming up this spring. We have retreat in Joshua Tree, California, coming up the first weekend of March. We have a leadership facilitator training the 13th to the 15th of March at Racebrook Lodge in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. And then we have our next East Coast open source. These open source retreats are for guys who are just curious and ready to get going into it. It is the perfect experience for somebody who hasn't done anything before. The next East Coast open source retreat is at Racebrook Lodge the 13th through the 15th of April. We've changed those dates. All right, guys, have a great week. We love you.